God bless you, church. Merry Christmas. I wonder if there's anybody who hasn't wished someone Merry Christmas yet. I don't know, like it's a week early, maybe it still feels a bit odd. So I just want to give you permission right now to turn to your neighbor and say, Merry Christmas. I love Christmas time. You know, Christmas time is a season of giving. So I've actually got a, a bunch of these Bibles. I think I got like five or six of them that I brought in with me. Uh, this morning. And I wonder if there's anybody in the room this morning that would be so bold to say, maybe you're a guest here today, maybe you lost your Bible, maybe whatever, you don't have a Bible. But if you do not own a Bible, I want to give you one right now in print, a hard copy Bible. If you don't own one, throw your hands up right now. Aislinn's going to help me and, and Pastor Heather. Yeah, right back there. There's one. One over here, a couple of them over there. I think I've only got five guys. So you might have to come see me after service and we can get you another one. I got a box of them. Uh, in my office. But that's just a little gift that I'd love to give you this morning. Uh, Christmas is the most wonderful time of year, and uh, it's a season that we focus on gifts and gift giving. How many of you love uh, the anticipation and the excitement that kids have for Christmas time? My, uh, my family, I've got four young kids, and we're from BC, so we're heading back to BC for Christmas. And so we celebrated, we opened all our gifts on Friday as a family. We had a Christmas day. On Thursday night, my son Sammy, who's four years old, uh, he went to bed at, I think, 7.30. He woke up at 11.30, and uh, all of a sudden I heard him, and his light was on in his bedroom, and I went into his bedroom. I'm like, what are you doing, bud? He's like, it's Christmas. I want to open my gifts. He was so excited. There was such an anticipation. It took me an hour and a half to get him back to sleep. And uh, he was up very early the next morning. And it was all because he had this excitement and this anticipation for these gifts, whatever they might be. And I think that we've been given the greatest gift this morning. We've been given the greatest gift at Christmas time, and it's the gift of freedom. When Jesus came 2,000 years ago, he came as a baby, but what he signified and what he grants to the believer is something far more than just forgiveness. He actually gives us freedom. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the gift of freedom, God with us, the gift of freedom. And to do that, uh, we're going to open our Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible, maybe it's one of those new ones you just got, you can flip it open to Galatians chapter 4. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. And as you're getting your Bible open, I just want want to share with you a little bit of the context of what Paul, one of the apostles, is writing to the church in Galatia. He's actually writing this letter to believers. And this is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible because it brings the believer face to face with the gospel, with the gospel of freedom, the gospel of grace, the gift of God that he has given us. And basically what was happening in the church of Galatia, Paul went through, he preached the gospel to these people, these Gentiles, uh, means they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles, and he preached the gospel to them, and they had the gospel. They received Jesus by faith. He preached to them the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And these guys, they accepted by faith the gift of forgiveness and the gift that is found through faith in Jesus Christ. But what was happening is after Paul left, there were these religious leaders called Judaizers, and they were following behind Paul, and they were teaching these new believers that, yes, believing in Jesus was a great starting point in order to be forgiven and accepted by God. But if you want to maintain that relationship, you also have to obey all of the law of the Old Testament. 
And Paul writes to them very angrily because he's upset that they had the gospel, but they didn't know how to live in the freedom that was purchased for them by faith in Jesus Christ and not by their good works. And I think that we do this sometimes in church as well. We treat the gospel like it's for the non-believer. And then we keep our faith, we keep our place with God by our own good works, our church attendance, our tithing, our prayer life, whatever it looks like. We treat the gospel like it's the starting point of Christianity when the reality is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what he's done for you and me that we receive by faith is not just the starting point, it's the point of Christianity. It's not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z. And we are not grown in our discipleship, we're not grown in our relationship and closeness to God by our good works, we're grown by going deeper into understanding the implications of what Jesus has done for you and me. It's by faith that we receive the gift of grace, that we receive the gift of forgiveness, redemption, and receive the gift of freedom. So with that in mind, let's go to Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. He says, even so, we were children. We were, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Just so you know, when Paul is writing this, and he's referring constantly to sons, he's not sexist. He's not excluding the women. Can I get an amen, ladies? But he's actually writing in this way to these people because in those days, it was the firstborn son that received the inheritance. But if you back it up a few verses at the end of chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have now put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Can I get an amen, ladies? So God is referring to men and women as sons and daughters when he's talking about sonship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Paul is writing to the believers and he wants them to step into the power of the gospel to transform them not just as the way into the kingdom, but actually as the way to continue to live in the kingdom. And there's a couple of things that I want to point out about the freedom that we find in becoming sons and daughters. The first thing that I want us to look at is that freedom is timely. Freedom is time, timely. If we go back to the beginning of verse 4 in chapter 4 of Galatians, he says, but when the fullness of time had come. Friends, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus came right on time. 
And God in His sovereignty and in, in His wisdom, for some reason that we don't understand, He chose 2,000 years ago to send His Son Jesus as a baby to come to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins. God was working His own perfect timing, His redemptive plan from the beginning of time. He was working it out. And at this specific moment in history, Paul is reaffirming to these new believers that God's timing was perfect. He came at the perfect time prophetically. Do you know that in Jesus' life, there were over 300 prophecies fulfilled? Touch your neighbor and say 300. So I make sure you're still awake. Mathematicians say that this is absolutely amazing that anyone would fulfill this amount of prophecy and it's staggering. The probability factor of one person fulfilling just eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power or this big number right there with 17 zeros. One person fulfilling just eight prophecies in their lifetime. Jesus fulfilled over 300 or one person fulfilling 48 prophecies is one chance in 10 to the 157th power. I'm not even going to put it on the screen because it won't fit in that screen. But the probability of one person fulfilling over 300 prophecies in their life, only Jesus. Only Jesus. The time was right prophetically. He came at the right time theologically. And if you read through Galatians, that's what chapter 3 is about. The law had done its work, preparing men for Christ, preparing them for a Savior, pointing out our need of a Savior, our, our sinfulness and our need of a Savior. The law, the Bible teaches us in Galatians, was a teacher, a tutor unto Christ. In Galatians 3, verse 24 and 25 says, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, The law was never instituted to make you right with God. It was actually instituted to show you how desperately you needed a Savior to bring you right with God, into right relationship with God. It says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith had come, we are no longer under the tutor. We're no longer under the law. It was the right time, and Jesus knew that it was the right time. When he showed up and began his ministry in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, he himself said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus knew it was the right time. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I think, God, why did you wait so long? Like, Why didn't you just come in the garden when Adam and Eve blew it in the first place? You could have saved so much pain and suffering. You could have saved your people so much as they went through years and years of slavery and bondage, not just spiritually, but they, they, and spiritually they entered into this system of sacrifice and it was perpetual and it was never ending. And for their sins, they had to atone by sacrificing an animal. And the reality is it never brought them any closer to God. I wonder why he didn't come earlier. 
Or maybe I wonder why, Jesus, why didn't you come? Why did you do it then? Why didn't you wait until 2017? I mean, can you imagine the impact if the virgin birth was streamed live on Facebook? The whole world would see it. Or if the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus was caught on camera and put up, posted on YouTube? There would be nobody. Well, there probably still would be some say, no, it's not real. It's, it never existed. No, friends. Jesus came at precisely the right time. And he's coming back at precisely the right time. Amen? The same is true prophetically and theologically, and the same is true in your life and in my life. When Jesus came and entered into your life, he began the work before you ever met him and your life was changed. He began the work, adoption, adopting you as his son and his daughter was always on his mind. It was never plan B. It was always plan A. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 and 5 says. Just as he chose us. Listen, he chose us before the foundations of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. By Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. It's according to his good pleasure that he chose you, not according to your good appearance. But his good pleasure that before the foundations of the world, he looked at you, not when you were at your best, but when you were at your worst, and he said, I love you, and I'm coming for you, and I'm going to adopt you into the family, set you free, forgive you, and adopt you as my son and my daughter for all of eternity. It was no mistake. It was no afterthought. Adoption was always on the heart of God and he was willing to pay whatever the cost to bring you and I home. That brings me to my third point that, or second point, that freedom is costly. Adoption is costly. Just ask anybody who's adopted a child on this earth. It's costly. And the second part of verse 3 and through to verse 5 says this in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That we might receive the adoption as sons. God sent his son. Jesus gave up all of heaven so that he could have all of us. So that he could have all of you. It cost heaven something. It cost them Jesus Christ. He was born of a woman. Here we see the humanity and the deity. That the humanity that he was born of a woman under the law. The deity, the fact that God sent forth his son. But Jesus was born under obligation to keep the law. But unlike you and me, he lived that out perfectly in his life. So he could uniquely redeem those that were under the law. He could uniquely redeem and pay the price due to our sin. The word redeem means to purchase a slave. It's a legal term. To purchase a slave paying their full price. 
He paid the full price due because of your sin and my sin. Jesus gave up his life so that we could know God. Galatians 3 verse 13 says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Anybody thankful in here this morning? Come on, help me out. Christ has redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's bought us back from the curse of the law. And he became a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He sacrificed himself obediently, fulfilling the law perfectly so that we could go free from the punishment of sin. Philippians 2 verse 5 says this, being in the form of God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant. Think about that. He became a servant so that we could go free. A bond servant, a love servant, it was fueled by love. That's what kept him to the cross. That's what nailed him to the cross. It was because of his love for you and for me. And he came as a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It cost him everything. It cost the prince of heaven the high price of laying down his life. He hung on that cross, shed his blood, gave up his life for your sin and my sin, not because of his own sin. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that he actually became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He took the punishment for what we deserved so that we could have what he deserved as the son of God. And the amazing thing to me is that he didn't just deliver us from something. The chain of sin, the chain of bondage, he actually delivered us to something, to sonship, adopted into the kingdom of God. I borrowed this from the kids department. Give Pastor Lisa's a howl. Come on. He didn't just pay the price to deliver us from sin. Sometimes we just stop there as believers. We don't know how to live in the freedom that he actually purchased for us. But he didn't pay just so that you could be free from the penalty of sin. But he actually paid for you to enter into an intimate relationship with God the Father. Which brings me to my third point. Freedom has its benefits or its privileges. If we go back to Galatians 4, verses 5 to 7, he says this, And because you are sons of God, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. You know, the reality is true that it's been said before that oftentimes we relate to God the Father as we relate to our earthly fathers. And sometimes it's hard for us to enter into this place that we accept and acknowledge that God is this loving Father. And so sometimes we think that it's our performance that will get us favor with God the Father. That maybe He'll be pleased with me if I do this or do that or all that sort of stuff. But we see here that it's actually a work of the Spirit. 
That God sends His Spirit and deposits within us a spirit of adoption. It's something supernatural that takes place in our hearts that causes us to cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. Paul is really drilling down with these believers and he's basically telling them that not only have you been redeemed from the law and the curse of the law, which is death, but you have been delivered into sonship in Christ. You were slaves, you are now a son or a daughter of God. And that is no small thing, friends. J.I. Packer says it this way. He says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Interesting, hey? Not the freedom from sin or forgiveness of sin, although that's pretty powerful, but being adopted, he says, is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. He says, to be right with God, the judge, is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater. To be forgiven of our sin is a great thing. It's like getting a pardon from death row. But God doesn't just pardon us of our sin and say, now go into the world and make something of yourself. He actually pardons us of our sin and deposits sonship into our account. And Jesus says, all that is mine is now yours as an heir of God through sonship. Romans 8 says it this way. You can get distracted, so I'll take that off. (laughs) Romans 8, verse 14 to 17 says it this way. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, sometimes I'll be in a church and I'll preach the gospel or be talking to a believer and they'll ask me, how do I know if I'm truly saved? It's a gift of the deposit of the Holy Spirit that you never have to earn, you never have to strive for, you never have to go back to the bondage of fear, wondering whether or not you'll be accepted by God. He deposits a spirit of adoption within you that causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is a term that means daddy. And we can call our dad's father, we can call our dad's dad. But there's something special when we call our dad's daddy. It is expressed to show a very beautiful, intimate relationship with God the Father. You know, I've got four amazing kids, beautiful kids, and an amazing wife. Where's my wife? She's in here. I love you, baby. She got all four of our kids ready by herself this morning and showed up to church early. That doesn't even happen when I'm around. Come on. My two-year-old, Tobias, he, pretty awesome little dude. They're awesome. But, you know, oftentimes when I come home from work, it's 4, 4.30, somewhere around there. And we've got one of those keypads that you punch in your code to unlock the front door. You know what I'm talking about? 
And so there's a beep when I press those buttons to punch in my code. And my son, Tobias, and my four-year-old Samuel as well, but most of the time, my son, Tobias, he's two years old, and you know he'll be playing with Paw Patrol or Lightning McQueen or maybe watching something on TV, whatever it is he's doing that he's into. And as soon as he hears those beeps, beep, 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 he jumps up and drops whatever he's doing. And I open the door, and literally, I see him running down the hallway saying, Daddy! And I bend down like this, and now my arms are outstretched. They're open wide, and I embrace him as a son that I love so much. And you know, I wonder sometimes, my daughter, she does it sometimes. My, other, my four-year-old son, he does it sometimes. But they used to do it when they were a lot younger, more often. And I wonder if as we grow up, as believers, if we lose the awe and we lose the wonder of being able to call God the Father, Daddy, the freedom that we have to enter the presence of God, the creator of all the universe, to enter his presence, the freedom that we have as sons and daughters and to be embraced by his loving arms every single time. No matter what we did, no matter what we haven't done, God's arms are always open wide for us to approach him with boldness, just like we had a perfect track record of Jesus. Wow. That is freedom. It's actually the same way that Jesus approaches his father. If you remember when Jesus was in the garden, he cried out, he said, Abba, Father. And now when we've been adopted by faith in Jesus, we can approach God, Abba, Father. We don't have to walk in fear of anyone or anything because our Father, Father God, owns the whole universe. And our sonship removes all fear. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. The gift of freedom is this. That we go from living under the law. We go from being bound like slaves to sin. And that's pretty heavy. To becoming sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we inherit the same inheritance as God's one and only Son, Jesus But the problem is this. Even though we've got a new identity, sometimes we approach God with a slave mentality. And that's what Paul was writing to the believers about. He's like, you've been delivered from bondage. Don't go back to it. Don't go back to the bondage of sin and the curse of the law. You've been delivered. You've been adopted, which is a gift. And it's the work of the Spirit. The Son, 
makes a way for adoption, the Spirit appropriates adoption. He applies adoption. And it's something supernatural that has to happen in our hearts, in our lives, so that we approach God this morning and this Christmas as God the Father. Abba. Daddy, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet all over this place. Maybe you just want to close your eyes and bow your heads in this moment right now for me. Maybe you're here this morning and this is your first time in church. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you've been checking out Christianity, but you've never professed Jesus as Lord and Savior. You've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. But this morning, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in your heart and in your spirit. And you recognize that you're a sinner, that you're not perfect, but God's demand is that we are perfect. But Jesus came and he paid the penalty for our sins because we broke God's law. This morning, I want to invite you to turn from your sin and trusting yourself and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never made a profession of faith in Jesus, I'd love for you to just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Come on, the day of salvation is today. If you're here this morning and you want to make... Yeah, bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, if you're here, today's the day of salvation. You can start a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Father, you see these hands raised. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would cause a regeneration to happen this morning by faith in the work of what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago. And I pray, God, that you would bring them in with open arms as sons and daughters, and they would never again spend a day of their life in fear. But they would walk completely in relationship. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If that's you this morning and you put your hand up, I want to invite you at the end of service to come visit us at the next step booth. We'd love to just give you a free gift and just chat with you about your journey. But for all the believers in the house this morning, my question is this. If we have been set free from slavery, why are we still living under the law? Why are we still living as we're slaves when God has given us sonship? If we go to Galatians again, And I'll close with this. It says this in verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. Come on, church. Help me out this morning. You are no longer a slave. You are no longer a slave to your past. You are no longer a slave to condemnation. You are no longer a slave to your sinfulness. You are no longer a slave to who you used to be. You're a son. And the chain of slavery has been broken. Somebody ought to jump for joy this morning. Somebody ought to celebrate that God no longer counts your sin against you. Somebody ought to lift their voice and celebrate that you've been adopted as sons and daughters. Come on, let's worship this morning. Come on, church. You got to get loose. Get loose.